0: Hello, Judith Lay here, welcoming you to the podcast edition of The Archive Room, Manx Radio's treasure chest of stories of island life from years gone by, told by the people who were there. So come on in and let me take you for another gentle stroll down Manx Memory Lane.
1: Manx Radio!
0: in the last episode of the archive room we met mrs irene curfee affectionately known to everyone as auntie Reni, the much-loved and well-respected head cook at castle russian high school for some 30 years well here she is again 90 years of age and talking about life in the tiny post office at bala which her husband jack ran not in a separate building but inside their own house the house Auntie Rene was still living in when David Collister recorded this conversation with her.
2: Oh, but well, I can remember at Christmas, I've been on this floor, I mean, these sorting letters. You know, I had to, to divide English and Manx letters because she had to catch um, the bus. It was when we used to have to put the mail on the bus and you had to stand out here to stop the bus to put the mail on, Oh isn't? yeah. Well, I, I, once or twice he has missed the bus and he's had to cycle into Balasala to catch the bus going round. <laughs> he's done that. He'd tell me after tell me. But, t- but talking
1: about Christmas, would there be parcels as well?
2: Oh, there was an awful lot of parcels then. Well, they used to send geese away and turkeys and big cakes and things like. It'd be terrible, the weight of them now, you see. It was a very busy time at Christmas. And then he used to do the uh, the mail as well. He used to go out the, with the mail mm. up to um, and all you know, oh. around on his bike delivering. yes he used to do that and uh, before him it was uncle dick of course his uncle uh, that had the post office then and he uh, he used to cycle up and round but uncle dick and jack they were very keen as regards everything had to be done correctly and if uh, even a magazine had to be delivered to a farm that was way off the road it would be delivered, no matter what the weather was. Yeah. If it was only a magazine, it had to be delivered that particular day and never kept, you no. know, for another day, mm. no. no. And,
1: and it's a bit widespread. I mean, the farm's oh, all around yes, here. yes,
2: yes. It was up Ron and Grenaby, yeah. you know, around there he used to go, yeah. Was
1: there also a post office in Colby as well?
2: Yes. Miss Clegg was the first one I remember over there because I lived in Colby then, and uh, I remember when she had the... She was only her that had a telephone, I think, in the village then at one time. And she'd answer the phone. I can always remember to answer on the phone and she'd say Colby. She put the tone on a little oh, bit, oh with yes. that Colby, C for Charlie, O for Oswald, L for Leslie, B for boy, and Y for Yes. Used <laughs> always used to spell <laughs> can always remember to do that. Oh she'd go real, you know, like <laughs> Mm. No, that was Bella Clegg, and then she'd shop, you see. We never had a shop Just the post office. It was just the post office. So that was why I kept on with my job, you see.
1: Yeah, because there wouldn't be a big living made with just a post office. No, no, it
2: wasn't. It wasn't a highly paid job, really. So I went and... Kept on with my job.
1: Were you doing anything in the post office yourself? Oh,
2: yes. And then when Jack wasn't so well, I used to tell me what to do and not to talk too much. Did He'd you, be here, me and there.
1: <laughs> did you take any notes of that? <laughs> no. <laughs> People who come in here it would be a social gathering, really, would
2: it? Yes, especially when he was here because he could do as much talking as me. <laughs> and there'd be different ones coming in and they'd be putting the world to rights, you know. Yeah. Remember Mr. Oates that used to live up at the corner here, Frank Oates, and he was great for this pipe. And he'd be sitting at the window there at a, at a table and uh, smoke would be going up in a wreath of smoke. Oh, I can always remember that. And Jack, and they'd be having a real good yarn over something and Frank would be telling them his views, you know. TV. Uh. <laughs> <Dear me. laughs>
0: 90-year-old Mrs Irene Kerfee in conversation with David Collister that was recorded around 20 years ago. As you'll hear in a few moments, it's post offices and postal services that, in a way, link Auntie Reney with our next storyteller, as working for the post office was a big part of Kirk Michael-born Norman Barron's working life. Actually, he's John Norman Barron, following a family tradition that goes back to the early 1800s. My father was a joiner
3: with Cully Brothers. Uh, My grandfather was a shoemaker, living at Rencullen down near Bishop's Court. And my great-grandfather was a crafter in Ordersdale. And he started about 1812 or something or other like that. They were all Johns. Yeah. My father was called Jack, I suppose, because of distinction. <laughs> yeah. and so they put John Norman on me, Which, and, but they called me Norman.
1: So born in 1909, yes. before the First World War, um, you won't, I mean, you'd only be very small when that was on. Any, um, any memories? Yes,
3: I only remember bits I remember a Belgian family living next door to us we lived in a cottage in Michael uh, directly opposite White House we looking straight up to the White House Mm. Uh, we had a Belgian family next door it was a summer residence for some people in uh, people in the name of Crook from Southport so that was taken over for this Belgian refugee family Mm. while the war was on but I remember very little about them, except that they were there, that's all. We were in this cottage. I was one of nine, the family, and we had two bedrooms and a living room and a kitchen, that's about all. Did you had to then, share a bed then, did you? Well, <laughs> had to hang on to the bed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, we eventually moved down to the bottom of Wren See, they moved. We moved, father and mother moved, yeah, and uh, all the family went with them, of yeah, course, uh, down to the bottom of Ren there. And, of course, um, I'd left school by this time.
1: In that First World War, were there any sort of uh, zeppelins or anything across there? Well,
3: uh, I remember the, an aeroplane going across... I remember the liner Celtic lying off Peel and often looking across and my mother said to me it was torpedoed, you know, and was lying there until they could repair it kind of Mm. thing. I remember that. I remember these uh, great big crates. They said was palm olive oil and coconut oil coming in on the shore from wrecks. Yes. Of course, they were too heavy, you couldn't handle them. But I know we had lots of farm oh, all the coconut oil to grease our boots afterwards for a long time afterwards <laughs> <laughs> that's about all i can remember yeah. except when the church bells were ringing and the war
1: was over war was you over. know everybody yes.
3: was i remember that yes but
1: where did you go to school in michael i think uh,
3: just kirk michael's elementary school that's yes. all
1: yes Happy days or not happy days?
3: Well, yes, in a certain way. happy enough in days, yes. The schoolmaster in the wartime, of course, went away. He was called Jimmy Kelly. Uh, he went away in the war, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And there was a Mrs Corkle took over, but I, I didn't know much about her at all. Mm. But I was trained. First, uh, Mrs Kamesh, who... Was a distant relative of mine, really. And uh, then Miss Mary Edgar was the middle-class teacher and uh, this Mrs Corkle uh, until Mr Fielding took over as headmaster after the war. I, uh, I left school at, what, in 1923, was
0: it? The day I was 14, yeah. I left school <laughs> and looked at the work. So, with school days behind him, 14-year-old Norman Barron went searching for work and found it firstly as a gardener at the White House working for the widow of the famous Diamond King.
1: The Diamond King was extremely well known in the area, wasn't he? Well, he
3: He was, he was. And they did say at the time, those houses looking up to White House were called Park View uh, because the Diamond King had visions of making all that field, that big field into a park. But, of course, he died very suddenly. It didn't materialise. No. And the the Wesleyan Chapel at the bottom end of the village there was called Parkview Chapel. It's the one I went to all my life, really.
1: When you went to work then, you were going in as a gardener, really?
3: Yes, it was gardening, yes. But I remember while I was there, visitors coming to the Kirk Michael village... And
0: they would come up to the gardens for fresh vegetables and fruit and things, mm, yes. yes. But the sale of the estate meant a change of job for Norman. He moved on to being a jobbing gardener, a farm worker, working on building sites, and a couple of seasons in the pay box at Glenwillen. I did two summers in
3: Glenwillen, down in the pay box. I used to go down there at 8 o'clock in the morning and m- you know mow the lawns so or... More so much, so much each day, mm. and then at 10 o'clock I'd be in the pay box. What
1: was that Glen Willen in those days
3: then? Oh, whole pleasure ground. Was,
1: yeah.
3: There was putting green, bowling green, and t- Three tennis courts. Two were mostly used, really. Mm. And there were swings, of course, of all... Children's playground there. Children's playground there. there, Did people
1: stay down there in tents in those days
3: or not? No, I never knew of anybody until later. And then, of course, they could get to the beach there quite easily from the Glen.
1: Where was the pay box then?
3: And the pay box was directly under the railway bridge. Oh, yeah. You know, where the railway bridge... And it was actually over the river... There's a river going there. Yes, that's pay right, I know it, yes. And then there was a path coming from the station down. Yeah. And of course, you could drive a car down from the main road if you wished to come that way.
1: So you'd be sitting in your pay box uh, and the trains going overhead? Going overhead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Well, of course, the trains are bringing the people in, though. Well,
3: they? now then. There was lots of picnics, especially uh, from Douglas. Yes. Sunday school outings, we'd come by train and then they'd walk down the pathway to the Glen mm. and spend the day down there. Yes. These pic- picnics, yes. I've been on those and myself. Have you? <laughs> quite a large number, too, those right. coming, yes. Oh, was the, yes.
1: Was the boating pool
3: there? The boating pool was not... In those days, no. Mm. none. It was when the railway company took over that they made the
0: boating pool, because I was in other work by then. Well, Norman Barron was clearly never going to be out of work, but it was, in his own words, all a bit haphazard. So when Norman saw an advertisement for an auxiliary postman, he gave it a try. He was successful and began his new job in Kirkmichael in the summer of 1938, But no sooner had his probationary period ended and his job confirmed than the Second World War broke out. And in 1940, Norman joined the Royal Artillery Anti-Aircraft Section. Returning home after the war, Norman was able to get back to the post office, but not in Kirkmichael. Instead, he had to travel to Douglas every day. After a couple of years of doing this, he was offered a transfer to Ramsey. And after another two years, a postman from Michael wanted a transfer. And within days, Norman was back, working close to home in Kirkmichael. And that's where he stayed until his retirement in 1974. Well, if the work was varied, the weather certainly was.
3: While I was in Ramsey, the snows stopped the van from getting out to Druidale. So he says to me, do you get the motorbike? They had a motorbike for telegrams and things. And go out to Sulby and go up, I had to go up to Cardy and Sulby there. Yeah. And walk up over the hills to yeah. Drewdale <laughs> to deliver some mail. Really? Yeah. In those days it was imperative mail was delivered. But
1: even in in, a, in bad snow you had to get out with it. Yeah.
3: Yes. <laughs> One occasion when we were 11 days cut yeah. off, Michael yeah. was.
1: And and what happened and then to that, your work?
3: <laughs> well, it was Christmas Day deliveries in those days. And uh, I went out with the van on Christmas Day and uh, we had two vans and Michael eventually because we took over Balaaf. I took off with the van by the time you had sorted your mail out it must have been 11 o'clock or so you see. And and I went out with the van to deliver it and by the time I got to Bagaro, the snow had come on. And it was such a lovely morning that morning the snow came and it came down so thick I couldn't see my hand in front of me hardly. So I, I tried to battle on a bit but uh, it was impossible so I had to turn back and I made my way going mighty well down as far as Cronk there. When I was going down the dip into Cronk and I ran into a snow drift which you couldn't mm. see because the snow was driving <clears throat> yeah. that thick across. And I tried, I went down to a house to get a spade from the lady, but it was useless. <laughs> Trying to dig out what was filling in as fast as I could dig it. <laughs> so I eventually locked the van up and took the, all the letters that were left in me bag, threw it on me back and walked back to the post Yes, And it was a week before that van was brought back to Michael, yes. Uh-huh. But that was one instance of the snow. There has been other instances. People got a bit impatient one to another time. People got impatient, we're getting no letters in, nothing, you know, we're mm. no communication through at all. So Jerry and I, the other postman, we said, oh, well, let us walk to Peel and see if we can pick up some mail. And that's what we did, yeah. and we had to walk because uh-huh. the roads, you couldn't travel on them, you no. see. So on our way, of course, we would partly on the railway line and partly on the main roads, Whichever was clear, <laughs> uh,
1: And did you collect mail and, and bring we,
3: it back? We got to Peel and they sent word into Douglas. So Douglas dispatched letter mail. We couldn't mm. carry anything else. Mm. And to Peel and we waited there till it came back. And then we threw it on our back and walked, marked, walked all the way back to uh. Michael with it.
1: The postman must have carried the local news around the
3: village, did he? Not only the news. (laughs) The gossip then. (laughs) Well, gossip and groceries. Oh, and groceries. (laughs) Well, people would ring up maybe Crockabody or somewhere, you see, and they'd ring up the quail the grocer next door, you see. You, know, you give the postman some <laughs> pound of bacon, <laughs> we're on about a bacon, or a loaf, or something like that, yeah. or some cheese. <laughs> and if you weren't going with the lettuce there's always certain houses you got to, and you got very thirsty when you got there. Your tea was gone, yeah. and some people they, were, they wanted you to come in. Yes. You see, and, and they would be wanting well, all the news. All the skeet. And this happened at going out to Bride and these places too. There were certain old ladies, you know. And them. Like, I mean, if you didn't call, they'd want to know next day why why didn't you call yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> we were waiting here for you. Well, yes. I suppose
1: a lot of people living on their own wouldn't see many people in a day, would they? Not really. Not no. in
3: those days, no. no. No, that's true. So we were really more than postmen. But they didn't mind. Nobody minded you doing that, doing a good turn
0: for people. More than Postman. True then and true now. Norman Barron celebrated his 100th birthday in 2009 and died a couple of years later, aged 102. But our next storyteller can better even that achievement. Let's eavesdrop on this conversation between legendary baker Bert Winkle and David Collister.
1: In the late 1940s and early 1950s, there were around 50 bakeries on the Isle of Man, some relatively large, with all-island delivery, others smaller, some of them specialising in pastries, and quite a number based in rural areas. One of these was to be found within a pair of converted cottages close to the Erie Dam at Foxdale. It was Winkle's Bakery. By that time, the good-humoured owner was Bert Winkle. Albert Jardine, Winkle, to give him his full name. the Jardine from his mother's side of the family. Yeah. They were a Scotch family. But uh, my
4: mum was born in Bootle, Liverpool, and her father was a Scotchman, come down and he was working a pirate on the boats, right. on, the, on the Mersey boats, bringing boats in and out to the Mersey.
1: Now, Bert, you were born in, in 1917 yes. in the Isle, of Man. The Isle of Man. But if we can go back a bit further than that, because... The, the bakery at Winkles, as we as we knew it, was started really by your, your parents. Your father actually bought a property? He bought this property when he was over
4: here on holiday. I stayed at Cunningham's Holiday Camp. Which was under canvas at that time of course mm. and walking around the island spotted these two cottages and they were joined together just down by the area here just by the dam right yeah. alongside the dam, and it was about 50 pounds so he bought them 50 pounds for the two for the two yeah. yeah so he bought those and a bit of land with it as well Yes. so and then uh, went back sold the business in manchester and uh, came over here then my dad was called into the army of course Uh, that's the first world war Mm. after he came out of the army he had uh, a lot of trouble getting work couldn't get any work and there was nothing suitable he'd also had a packet during the war which stopped him doing a lot of things Mm. Uh, but then he uh, decided that in 1923 that there was nothing he was going to make any money at, had had been enough to keep them so he decided that he'd start doing a bit of baking. He was doing a bit in the kitchen oven, just bits and pieces on a Friday and uh, uh, selling them on a Saturday on the roundabout and in, in Foxdale.
1: Uh, what did he use? Just
4: push for a little trolley round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, round. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah. on a hand yeah. trolley? Yes, and, and a basket a lot of the time round yeah, the yeah. area. And, and then some people started, started coming to the place. As that grew up a bit, we got. Another oven, a uh, bigger oven, and uh, well, he did. And then from then on, he got a Study Baker car, one of the old Study Baker seven seaters, and had uh, half an hour's driving lesson. And uh, he was driving from then on. Well, you didn't get licenses those days, no. Some, somebody just signed you so that you could drive. And so he uh, then used to, when my dad was running people into Douglas as a taxi, and then uh, go around selling cakes f- from the car and that's sort of started uh, built up over the years that would have started in tw- 1923 three. Nineteen or? about 1923 yes yeah. 23, 324 it yeah. started building up but yeah. not
1: making bread at this time?
4: Not making bread. No, we hadn't. didn't make bread at that time because my dad had come to an arrangement with a baker who was very kind to him. In fact, lent him £100 to buy an oven to start the next phase of the bakery, if you like it, put it that way. And he said he wouldn't make bread while he was doing the del- delivery no. around here.
1: Now, you then were... Um, you were in this business from six or seven years of age onwards were
4: you? I've been in it all my life, yes, yes. <laughs> yes I what, weaned in it.
1: What were you called on to do when you were six or seven or eight then?
4: Well, when I was going to Foxdale School, you see, we used to have to walk to Foxdale School. Coming home at night I used to go up to Kinslou, Mr. Kermit's at Kinslou, and carry two quarts of milk home to make the custards next day. Okay. And then when I was home, I used to have to go down to Renchant. Which another farmer down there, get another couple of quarts of milk there. That would uh, be for, for the to cook custards and uh, vanilla slices and stuff for the next day. Yeah, yeah. And there's two or three of the farms round about, they used to bring us buttermilk in, right. which was great for the scones and flour cake and potato cake and all those things, you know, makes yeah. makes lovely stuff. Yeah. And then the Coke. For the little oven that we were using when I was that age, was down in a store at the other end of the garage, mm. and I used to have to drag boxes of coke in and tip it up and make sure they had enough coke to keep keep the fire going next day. <laughs> you see, and that sort all. Mm. all those sort of things, and then I used to go out on the on the van and help me dad. You wouldn't be allowed to do it today. No, no. I never did me any. I'm I'm 87 and I'm still really going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: And Bert Winkle is absolutely right. It certainly didn't do him any harm. He was 87 when this conversation was recorded and he died earlier this year at the age of 105. What I missed most was the
4: travellers coming in, meeting the people. I remember one woman, she was in the shop. Our phone was just through the shop at that time. I went through to do some phoning and... uh, The lady that was in the shop said to Vera, who had been with us about 40 years, you know, she said, what's the matter with Bert this morning? And Vera said, I don't know, he's all right, I think. Why? She said, he hasn't insulted me. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's a lovely thing, isn't it? I always had something to say, and I usually... A bit derogatory or small, pong my leg or something, you know. And the funny thing is, I can't recollect anybody that ever took offence. And I often mm-hmm. say to people, it's not what you say, it's how you say it.
1: But having a sense of humour was
4: important. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, you can't go through business. You can't can't do your job without a sense of humour, no, can you? No, I mean, you must get some awful things said to you at the Times. <laughs> and you've just got to bite your lip, haven't That's you? Is yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
4: And you just pass it off or do you make it a joke? Yeah,
0: And with those words of Bert Winkle, I'm afraid that's where we have to close the Archive Room door just for this episode. But I have so much Christmas nostalgia to share with you and that's why I'm pleased to say that next week we'll be opening the Archive Room door twice. Our regular Thursday evening visit just after six and again next Friday for a one-hour Christmas special at five o'clock. I do hope you can join me then. But if you can't, don't forget... All episodes of The Archive Room are available as podcasts. Go to manxradio.com and search for The Vault. You'll find this and all previous episodes of The Archive Room for you to listen at your leisure. And you can subscribe for free, so you get a little notification whenever a new episode is added. My thanks to you for listening. And I couldn't finish in any better way than with a classic sign-off from Howard Hampton.
1: Anyway, till next week. So long, sir.